welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We're in week five of our current series, Habits. Small choices that we make every day add up into something bigger over time. This series will help you get fruitful results through God's Word. Today, we're going to learn how to keep going in our faith when we just want to give up. Enjoy the message. Let me ask you this question. When have you wanted to give up when things got hard? When in life did you want to give up when things got hard. Uh, just a few days ago, we arrived back from a team a team here from Kenosha City Church. We went out to Europe uh, to help open up uh, doors across Europe. We've been mentioning this for the last few months, uh, that we uh, have a vision of 10 countries in 10 years to so our international partners of Don Olding and Stefano Lungo. Uh, they are based in Italy, and we have launched 10 nations in Africa. Now we're looking at 10 nations in Europe. And so this was really an exploratory, exploratory pioneering trip where we're going to break hard ground and hopefully uh, meet uh, some people. And as we were preparing last fall and I was praying for this trip, I really felt that we needed to go to France, uh, that there was going to be something in particular that uh, God was going to open up a door there. I didn't know anybody from France. Uh, I didn't really necessarily, France was on my list to go travel to again. And so I was like, yeah, I, I, but I felt like that's where we needed to go. God wanted to open up uh, the doors. And so Don didn't know anybody, our partner. He didn't know anybody in France. I said, okay, well, let's just go there. And if we walk the streets and pray, we're just going to break hard ground that way. But Don, in the meantime, did get a contact for somebody in Versailles. And we set up a meeting for the day that we we're going to arrive and just talk to this ministry partner about opening up doors of advancing the gospel uh, and partnering with us through Go Live Dare. That's our ministry partner and uh, see what happens. And so uh, we flew out. We flew out on February 1st with five people from Kenosha City Church and we boarded a, pl a plane to France, not knowing what to expect. But when we arrived to O'Hare, apparently there were some problems. Apparently Texas had some, you know, some snow and ice, and it caused a cascade of delays uh, and cancellations of American Airlines. And you guessed it, we were on American Airlines, which means our flight was delayed. It was delayed and delayed again, which meant we were going to miss our connecting flight to France. And I began to question, Lord, why is all this happening if I felt like you were speaking that we needed to be in France to meet this person to open up doors to uh, the nation of France? And so we were going to fight for it. We weren't going to give up. We we're going to fight for it. So we went to the ticket agent. Now, if you have ever dealt with airlines, you know how fruitless of a thing that we're about to do. All right. We're going to go to the ticket agent and we went to a very long line to plead our case. And the people in front of us, they didn't look like they're getting anywhere with the ticket agent. So by the time we went up there, I, 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 we had some time to just kind of think through. You can worry through it. But I decided before I get to the ticket agent, I'm going to talk to the ticket agent that owns all the tickets and that owns the planes on a thousand runways, all right? I'm going to talk to the Lord God Almighty about it. And so I said, God, we need to get to France. Help us out. That was my silent prayer in my head. By the time we got to the agent, they, they checked to see if there's any other flights from American Airlines to get us to France, and they just did the frown, sorry, nope. They went and checked their network flights, they, you know, the people that were within their flight networks, and they shook their head and they said, nope, and I just started praying some more. And then finally, they did something I've never seen before. I've flown quite a bit. I've never seen this before. They get on the phone, and they call their competition. They call United, and they put us on a United flight. So the weirdest thing is this, is that we have an American Airlines ticket with United on uh, the, the airplane we're about ready to board. I'm like, how does that happen? I know who happens. We talked to the first agent who owned the planes and the thousand runways, right? 
And so we're excited to get to France on time. So we flew through the night. We arrived on time. And when we landed, we went to, you know, the baggage claim, all of our bags, right? And as we went to the carousel, we watched that thing go around over and over and over again. And we realized, oh, no, where's our bags? Now, we went to South Africa in June with the team, with our partners down there. And some of you know, I lost my bag for a week, all right? And I said, never again. So I put a little Apple AirTag in my uh, luggage to see so I could track in real time on my phone. I'm going to see where my bag's at. It's not on the conveyor belt. If my bag's not there and the rest of our team's bag's not there, I'm going to see where it's at. I checked, and to my dismay, our bags were still in Chicago. And I realized, no, never in the 15 years of, of, of missions uh, has an entire team not had their luggage. None of our bags arrived. My, our bags were in uh, Chicago. Apparently, American forgot to give the bags to United. Uh, so we were hungry. We didn't have clothes except for the clothes on our back. We didn't have deodorant. We didn't have toothpaste. We had a battle with the airlines. And now we had to go meet with somebody we've never met and say, hey, how would you like to team up with Jesus, right? We felt the doors open to France, but yet now we're in France. My God, are you going to slay us in the desert, right? Have you ever felt that way? God has gotten you so far. You're like, are you going to give up on us now? And then it hit him. It hit me. So I was seeing the conveyor belt just empty with not our luggage. I'm like, we didn't come to France to pick up luggage on a conveyor belt. We came to France to go meet with a partner. We're going to get in the car. We're going to drive. You know, we don't have anything besides the clothes on our back. How many of you, how many of you have the propensity to give up when things get hard. I wanted to give up in that moment. I know if I'm looking at some of you in the team and didn't you just want to give up in that moment, right? You know, it's like, seriously? But how many of you, in the moment when it gets hard, you just don't have the mental bandwidth to even go another day? Come on, right? We're, we're that way sometimes. How many of you want to give up when you know you shouldn't? Maybe it was the diet Maybe it was going to the gym, that membership you bought on Christmas Day. Maybe it was college. Maybe you had more fun than study, and you're like, I'm just going to give up on the study. Maybe it was learning a new language. Maybe it was a budget, but instead of having a good budget, the only ledger that's going up is your credit card. Maybe you've given up trying to give up. Maybe you're trying to give up a, a smoking. Maybe you're trying to give up overeating. Maybe you're trying to give up social media. Maybe you're trying to give up an addiction. Maybe you're trying to give up trying to please people. And you're just like, man, I just, I'm going to try. I'm giving up, giving up. Why? Why is it that we give up? It's often because we have unrealistic goals, right? Uh, it's often that we fear failure or that we want it now. Or we have an, a negative voice in our mind which tells us we can't do it. But for the follower of Christ, spiritually speaking, we often give up when we stray from the word of God. When we listen to thoughts or voices or podcasts that are not biblical, they sound biblical, but they aren't biblical. Maybe it's because we've disconnected from the vine. It's the reason why we feel malnourished and we begin to spiritually shut down. Today we're going to talk about not giving up. Yes, there are things that we need to give up in our life. That's a different message. What I want to talk about today is not giving up what you shouldn't give up on. The truth of the word of God and the mission that he has through your life. And often we give up when we feel like we should give up. And what I want to tell you this, this morning is this. Your feelings can be deceptive. Oh yes, feelings can be a gift. They're a gift from God. We're to worship God in spirit and truth. 
But yet it's often that our feelings in the moment of darkness or the moment of pain or, or the moment of stress that we listen to the voice and give in to what we ought not to and we give up with things we should not give up with. So here's our main idea this morning. Never give up when you want to give up, right? When you just want to give up, I'm going to give up. Don't do it. Never give up when you want to give up. And we're going to look at three things this morning that must occur if you are going to persevere, if you're to never give up. First thing is this, is that you should never forget. Never forget your commission that you have. Secondly, you need to keep your attitude focused on the big picture. And third, you must look to others who have finished well. We'll unpack those three things. If you didn't get those right away, that's okay. I'll repeat them again. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says a lot. He has a lot to say about not giving up. If there's a person in Scripture that I think should have given up, in the, he would have in the flesh, it would have been Paul. It would have been Paul. But yet, he did not forget who he was serving. Paul uh, would be executed for his faith. And just before he was to be executed, he wrote a letter to his apprentice, Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy. That's where we're going to be today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to turn there. And Paul's mindset was this. He was going to die. But we don't see in the writings of Paul is, woe is me. What we don't see in the writings of Paul is, maybe I put my chips in the wrong thing. Maybe I placed and hedged my bets on the wrong thing. There's none of that. He's immovable. He is going, 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 knowing that he's going to be gone. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say when it comes to giving up. So let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Here is his charge to his apprentice, Timothy, who knew that his mentor, he knew that the person that he looked up to was going to die in the faith. If there's ever going to be a moment where Timothy was going to see his mentor waver, it was going to be right now. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead because of his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from the hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul could have said a number of things, and this is what he chose his last words to be to his apprentice. There are going to be times that you want to give up. There are going to be times that you just cannot see the end of it or you can't feel it. But what Paul is telling us today and what I'm going to say by the example of Paul through Scripture is this. Never, ever, ever, ever give up. We have the Lord God Almighty who goes before us. We have the Holy Spirit that fills us to empower us to never, ever give up even when you want to give up. Never give up when you want to give up. So number one, in order not to give up, never forget the commission God has given you. Never forget the commission that God has given you. Jesus, just before he went to heaven, he gave us what we call the great commission. He said, go therefore make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he talks about how the, the spirit is going to empower us, right? And, and how we are to be witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the world. Uh, we are to be witnesses in Kenosha, in our region, and all around the world. That is to be biblical. Jesus could have said a number of things before he left. 
He could have said, I want you to be super, super passionate all the time. Or I want you to, you know, I want you to, to be somebody that people know and like. He didn't say any of that junk. He said this, I want you to be somebody that's entrusted with the message of Jesus Christ to go into all the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Those were the last words of Jesus. And now take a look at the last words of Paul. Paul is saying, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Paul is saying, we're all going to face God. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. We can't miss the commission. We cannot miss the commission or forget the commission that God has given us. I was once asked to go to speak about youth ministry when I was a youth pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. And upon my arrival, uh, I was uh, going to attend these sessions and then at some point going to speak. So I had, uh, I had a, a talk all set up. And as I was listening to the first few sessions, I was absolutely dumbfounded and confused. I, I had thought, am I at the right event? And I kind of nudged people. I was like, is this the event? They said, yeah, this is the right event. I'm like, what am I hearing? Basically, what had happened is this event had turned into a multi-level pyramid scheme where they were selling oils and, and timeshares, basically. Like, what, what am I at? And literally, the room just began to empty. Where I was the last one around my table, I'm like, why am I the only one here? So I went up to the event organizer, and I said, I think there's been a mistake. He goes, no, there's been no mistake. It's just that these groups of people have different priorities. And I said, well, okay. I, I, I remember calling Alice. I'm like, I have no clue why I'm here, Right? But the reason why I had no clue why I was there is because I was in a group full of people that were supposed to be there to equip each other to be on mission, but they weren't on mission. They were off mission because they forgot the commission. Paul, at the end of his life, reiterates this. Paul wants us to make sure that we don't lose our way uh, and live in Christian in name only or we make the church or we make uh, the faith about something other than it's not. Oftentimes in the church, we can do many good things, many good things, but the commission is an omission. Paul, at the end of his life, reiterates his charge to Timothy to stay the course. And although this passage is specific to Timothy, and oftentimes uh, pastors, when they're being uh, commissioned in a church, they'll read this passage, it is for every single one of us. Uh, the, the, the commission is not just for professionals. People in the robe or with the collar, right? No, it's for all of us. Because when you read scripture, it, every single person is considered a priest. Did you know that? It's called the priesthood of the saints, which means uh, your, your bodies are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which means you are somebody that God entrusts the gospel with. Uh, that he empowers you the Holy Spirit with. That ministry is to flow through you. Pretty cool, isn't it? And yet... We can get so off course. You're part of a ministry called the Priesthood of the Saints, and you've been commissioned with the mission from Christ. Now, I've heard so many excuses. Oh, Andy, I know, I just, I, you know, it's just not my season. There's just so much going on in life, you know. Oh, you know, just sharing Jesus is not really my passion, you know. I'll clean the carpets, which is great. We love that, right? Everybody has different giftings. But listen, I, I hear the reason why you'll never share or never invite or never connect people to Jesus. They're excuses, and they're unbiblical. Jesus has given us a commission to make disciples, not just from your circle of friends, not just in a, your, you know, your people that you're comfortable with, but through the entire world, 
including people that don't know Jesus. The church is in a bind in the Western world because the commission has become an omission. The Western church has become a huddle instead of a hospital. Uh, people have given up their commission and they've forgotten their commission. They're off mission. And as a result, we see a number of people falling away from the faith because they don't know what they're doing in the faith. So it's important for us to remember our commission because you're on mission. You are on a mission from God. This is going to date me a little bit, but you remember the Blues Brothers? We're on a mission from God, all right? It's true, all right? We're on a mission from God. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And you know, the people that like the rebuke part, oh, yeah, I can't wait to rebuke some people. Uh, uh, uh. Great patience, all right? <laughs> That's the part you're missing, right? Let's go back to the airport for a second. So I called United the minute I realized that our bag was not there. And, and uh, they, in, in fact, we went to the airport. I went there before they called me. And when I went to the airport, the people were like, your bags aren't here. I'm like, yes, they are. They're not here. Yes, they are. And I show them the location on my air tag. I'm like, your bags aren't here. They're 500 feet over there. And finally let us in, and there they were, right? Well, we got into our car. And we made the meeting on time. We made the meeting on time. In fact, I think we have some pictures here. Uh, I'll uh, go through the uh, uh, different. Um, and so there we are. That, that's, that is our, those are our two partners. They're an extension of Kenosha City Church. They love this church. They know this church. They can't wait to be with you. You need to see them as an extension of our church body. That is Stefano Lungo to the end there. That's Donovan. Forget the Seahawks thing, all right? I'm sorry about that. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, there's Brandon and I. Um, and so that, those are our mission partners as they are looking to now partner and open doors throughout Europe. Does that make sense? And so here is there, there's the whole team that went. Uh, we had a team of five. And now here is the person that the Lord laid in my heart before I even knew who he was. His name is Ryan. We met Ryan in a cafe ready for us. And Don had met, was there just prior to us. And he could tell there was instant connection. We realized, wow, this is what we were here for. This was the meeting that we could have so easily given up in our discouragement and missed. And we began to hear his heart. They're planting a church in the Versailles area. We began to hear his heart for the gospel. It's like he was part of Kenosha City Church already. And I began to pray over him. And as I began to pray over him, I began to just feel uh, that there was just a, a ground of fertile soil. And that they were, they were putting seeds down and God was going to instantly germinate those things. And his wife begins to tear up. She goes, do you know what our town name means, Versailles? I'm like, I don't have a clue. I don't know French. And she goes, it means fertile soil. I get a call two days later uh, from uh, Ryan. He goes, Andy, you got to understand this is so cool that I've been asked to be part to coach a rugby team. His vision was to enter in with the ministry to the rugby team, which is huge in France. And he began to coach before we even left back for America, a rugby team. And what he says is this, is that as they're planning the church, as they're going to the rugby teams, as they have asked Don and Stefano to help lead them and coach them, he said, I would love for your church to come back and begin to walk the streets and lead people to Jesus. How does that happen? How does that happen? God. Because we didn't know what was going to happen. 
We didn't know who we were going to meet, but yet God is always on the move and he's ready to work and he doesn't want us to give up. The reason why we give up often is because we don't see what's going to happen or we can't control what's going to happen in front of us. God is at work and we have a mission. We are on a mission from God and he's asking you today, who will go with us? Who will go for us? And we, our response needs to be, here I am, Lord, send me. Oh, all too often we're like, well, why me, God? Yeah, you can have somebody else. Yeah, he can use somebody else. But why would you want to do that to yourself? When you know that you're on the mission from God. When you know that you can say, God, God, ooh, ooh, pick me. And he's like, all right, come on, let's go. Why would you rob yourself of that? We're on a mission from God. The ground is fertile with mission. And in verse 2, we see here, Paul gives Timothy five commands. Preach the word. Be ready. Reprove, rebuke, and admonish. Now, all of these are in the aorist. And for you language junkies, you're glad I just said that. What's that mean? The aorist means this. It was happening in the past, and we're to continue to do it in the present. Paul is not telling Timothy to do something hypothetical, to do something that maybe you will do. He's like, no, no, no. I want you to do something and continue to do something we've already been doing. I want you to continue to do this. And if you've lapsed, start doing it again. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. What is the mission? Preach the word. That word preach means proclaim. It means to publicly speak out loud with words. Oh, yes, we've heard the, 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 the quote where it says, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I've checked over and over again. I double-checked again this morning to make sure I was going to lead you astray. It's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible at all. You want to know what's in the Bible? Preach the gospel with your words, and oh yes, with your actions. We get into silly debates in the church world where we're like, we pit one area of obedience against another area of obedience. We're like, well, I'm just about the proclamation of the word. Well, I'm about doing the good things of the word. I'm like... How many of you would like to try to walk around with one leg, if, if, you know, or how many of you would like to go walk around with one, or what, you know, go around with one ear, right? And some of you, 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 you have that today. You, you, have, um, you, you have those needs where you, you, you are missing something, or maybe you're watching online, and you know it's like, man, like I have to adapt, but I, I wouldn't choose that, right? Here's the deal. Oftentimes in the church, we're cutting off body parts, right? And we're like, and we're trying to act like we got it all together, Let's quit pitting obedience against obedience and take the whole counsel of God, amen? And so, out loud with words and back it up with your action, amen? We are to preach the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes people ask, what is the church? And that's a loaded question. <laughs> that's a loaded question. I usually say, well, what do you think it is? And like, well, and they give a whole laundry list. It better be the gospel, number one. Any other 501c3 nonprofit organization can do what we can do with the exception of be a church that disciples and preaches the gospel. If we don't disciple, if we don't preach the gospel, if we don't see new converts, if we don't see the people invited and sit next to us on church on Sunday morning, then we might as well go to Menards. We might as well say, we need all your plywood because we got a little, we got a number of windows we need to board up because we going out of business. The church isn't just another 501c3. We have a mission from God, not some 501c3 board. 
We are entrusted with the life-giving message of the gospel. Kenosha City Church, we will be a church that worships passionately. We will be a church where we will, we will strive to be filled by the Holy Spirit in everything that we do. We will be a church that finds biblical community. We will be a church that's on mission. But here's the deal. I can say that. We can put things up on our walls that say that. But it's really up to you if you're going to do that. We people say, oh, I just can't find community. Or, oh, I just, ah, oh, this gospel's not happening. I say, well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? It's not for the professionals. It's not for the so-called super Christians. It's for you. That's the beautiful thing with it. God can use you in your weakness. How exciting is that? So we see here that we are on mission from God, and we must not ignore the urgency of your call. We must not ignore the urgency of your call. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they'll turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Let's get this out of the way real quick. We do not have the, per the propensity to be positive. We love drama. We love to hear the juice. We love to be negative. You know, when we're asking questions, how's your day? Oh, it's good, good. Oh, tell me how you're really feeling. We want it, right? We don't want the, God's good. No, no, tell me how you're really feeling. I want the juice, right? That's how, we, that's how our hearts are naturally leaning towards. We gotta fight against it. And there's an urgency to our call this morning because never in my lifetime, I'm sure it's happened in, in history, world history, but never in my lifetime have I seen a, just such a, a punch towards the to Christians or punch towards the church in the Western culture. Never in my life have I seen uh, that the very words that you may be repeating verbatim from Scripture be called hate. I often hear the phrase, we just need to be a New Testament church. Have you heard that before? Man, we just want to be a New Testament church, right? And everybody kind of says that and they don't unpack that, right? Well, I agree. We need to be a New Testament church. We need to read the book of Acts. We need to be in awe. We need to repent where we say, man, that's not happening. Like, like we, I agree that we need to be a New Testament church. But often what people say we need to be a New Testament church is they see it as this like pious, untouched, genuine church, like the Garden of Eden, right? It's just this nice, pure thing. It wasn't. They were fighting within the first couple chapters. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira fell over dead because they lied to God. That's a crazy one, right? We see from the beginning of the church there were false teachers. Or teachers who like to emphasize minor things as if they were major things. And today we live in a wealth of biblical teachers and worship bands more than we can count. In fact, I was trying to find the number. The estimate is right now there are 100,000 religious podcasts you can listen to right now and that doesn't include youtube or tiktok videos we want to find we want to find a fringe idea you can find it just google it you, you want to stay the way that you're going to stay you can research it and you can stay the way that you want to stay because you can find somebody else spouting it off just because you find somebody spouting off the same view that you have doesn't make it true paul is telling timothy you must not find your truth, you must contend for the truth. For many of his peers, we're going to turn away from the truth. We must contend with the gospel this morning. It is urgent. We're living in urgent times. I'm not talking about, oh, we need to make it easier for us to be Christians. No, we need to contend for the truth of Scripture. It's being redefined by people who say they're biblical Christians. 
Many Christians are abandoning the word of God and they are submitting to other authorities as more important than the word of God. I'm thankful for the advances of psychology, but psychology is not greater than the word of God. I am thankful for the advances of medicine, but medicine is not greater than the word of God. I am thankful for the advances of science, but science isn't greater than the word of God. I am thankful for religious books and, and biblical books by different pastoral authors. But make no mistake, if they're spouting off something that's not in the word of God, it's not greater than the word of God. Even our worship songs are not greater than the word of God. And I'm not demeaning the, wor the worship. I think in some ways we demean worship and we need to raise it up, right? We're living in a world where we want to be our own authority or we'll choose our authority. And this is of no surprise, only 32% of Bible-believing churchgoers read the Bible every day. Only 32%. That number was actually a little bit higher than what I thought it was. I think there might be some liars there. And it's no wonder that we're compromising. If you were to ask an evangelical Bible-believing Christian, they would say, oh, of course this is the authority. But they're just saying it. If it's really the authority, why aren't we in it? A third of Bible-believing Christians don't pray every day. I don't say this to beat us over the head. I'm saying this, let's reimagine something here. Imagine with me what the church, Kenosha City Church, the church at large, if we read our Bibles and we got on our knees and we prayed every day. All the problems that we're seeking and we're getting help and we're spending millions and millions of dollars, I'm telling you, some of it would still linger. Some of us, we're going to still limp with it. Paul tells us that he had a thorn in the flesh he couldn't remove three times. But I'm going to tell you is, if we got before the face of God, how many of the things that we think can never be removed from God, God can help? But instead, people are disconnecting from the Bible and now deconstructing core tenets of the faith. A national pastor at a pastor's conference last year gave his MO of how to lead people to a view that might not be historically in the fold. He said that you got to incrementally lead people to the idea that you want. He was talking about things that we would reject. He was talking about uh, how we view the Bible. He was talking about a number of other things. He's like, we got to incrementally lead people to where we want them. Because if we were to tell them where we're leading them right up front, nobody would follow us. And I know it, this is, and I quote, and I know what you're saying, but this is actually good leadership. That is not good leadership, that's deception. This is the word of God. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We believe that he rose from the dead. For some of you that seems really, really weird, we're being upfront about it. Why? Because we are not going to bait and switch you. And today people are baiting and switching Bible-believing Christians uh, to think differently. In fact, for instance, one organization uh, that's pro-LGBTQ, they're, they're fully affirming, which we believe in traditional marriage here at Kenosha City Church, they'll often quote Bible verses and evangelical authors to win trust. That's a trick, by the way. All right? They'll, they'll quote scripture, like, oh, that's such a great scripture. They'll quote uh, a, a great theologian that we're all going to agree with, and then they'll give you the doozy. And you're kind of confused. You're like, well, they put, that was all good, and then I got this. And they'll do that over and over and over again. It's like a slow boil with the frog in the water boil. You just kind of slow boil it up to where you don't even notice it. And all of a sudden, like, how did I get to all these different beliefs? That's what's happening today. 
That's what's happening in your 15-second TikToks. That's what's happening in your podcast. We need to make sure that whatever we hear, including what I am saying, needs to line up with the Bible. Which is required for us to combat deception is biblical clarity, gospel urgency empowered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Biblical clarity plus gospel urgency empowered by the Holy Spirit. We get so stuck on what we want to hear, we will shop around for what we want to hear that we often miss what God is actually saying. Never give up when you want to give up. And sometimes we're giving up to receive something new or something that we don't have to change. Never forget the commission God has given you. When you forget your commission, you will go off mission. Number two, keep your attitude focused on the big picture. Keep your attitude focused on the big picture. 2 Timothy 4, 5. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. To keep from giving up, you need to have an attitude that sees the big picture, not just what's happening in the day, not what you're feeling like in the moment. Have you ever had something big to where you got distracted, you weren't thinking that big thing anymore? Like, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, an instinct, okay? One of the cardinal sins uh, that I can commit is being late, you know? All right, and so uh, and so when Allison wants to go, it's time to go, right, honey? And so she's shaking her head, yes, right? And so she'll give me the, the five minute warning. She'll even go out to the van and wait for me a little bit. And if I'm any longer, she'll come in and ask, "What's the holdup?" I don't know what it is, but like when I'm leaving, I realize everything I haven't done. Is anybody with me here? And you realize, whoa, the house is a uh, it needs tidied. I was like. I better tidy it. And so I'm like tidying it. She's in the van. She's honking the horn a little bit. But I'm doing the husband stuff. I'm getting husband points, right? She's like, Andy, we're late. I was like, but look, the house is clean. It's like, Andy, that doesn't matter to me right now. You have, you have, you flipped the urgency. We're late to something important, but the kitchen's clean. Congratulations. (laughs) How often do we flip the urgent in our life? How often do we look at things that might need to be done, but we're sacrificing unto what actually needs to be done? We have to keep our attitude, our mind, but yes, it's our attitude. I was was wrestling, should it keep our minds on the big picture? No, no, our attitude. It's usually what we're feeling is the reason why we end up doing, right? Keep your attitude focused on the big picture. There are so many things that are calling for our attention. Some of them good things. Maybe it's the family business. Maybe it's tasks at work. Maybe it's hobbies. Uh, Things that take up our time. But the Lord, and these aren't necessarily wrong. We need to have a job. It's good to have hobbies. But never at the expense of the kingdom of God. In fact, what I'd love to really just put in your mind this morning is, how can you integrate the kingdom of God in everything you're already doing? The Lord wants you to be locked onto his big gospel picture. And that this world is not our final destination. Heaven's our home and we have a mission much bigger than our life. If we don't have that big picture, we will settle for temporal things. The good or the bad will settle at the expense of doing something heavenly right now. We again see four imperatives here in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Be sober, endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If you're going to see the big picture, you need to be sober, right? Uh, when you think of not being sober, you often think of being inebriated or high. That, that's included here, all right? Uh, where you're physically or mentally inebriated, uh, that's not good. You can't be locked on if that's the case. But 
sobriety is much bigger than just uh, being drunk on wine or, or, or high on drugs. To be self-controlled is to be sober. William Hendrickson says this, the sober person is calm, steady, and I love this last one, sane. The sober person is not intoxicated by drugs or alcohol, which brings a person to an emotional, physical stupor. A sober person is also a person that doesn't seek out the sensational whispers. To be sober means you refuse to compromise and be a pleaser of people or cliques, but yet see the kingdom of God and being dedicated to the maximum glory of God. That's to be sober. That's to be sober. To be sober means it's not about us. Too often in the church, we make it about a personality. I want this to be Kenosha City Church, our church. Maybe you'll say, oh, Andy's church. Stop that. This is Kenosha City Church. This is our church, right? Entrusted us by the chief owner, God's church, right? Jesus Christ, it's all about him. Less of us, more of him. So we need to be sober. We also need to endure hardship. I once heard it said this way, there is no such thing as a faithful ministry that's not costly. There's no such thing as a faithful ministry that's not costly. If there was ever a person that ever endured, it was Paul. This is what Paul said. He said that five times he was whipped, uh, 40 minus one, 39 times. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was lost at sea. He faced dangers from rivers and robbers. He faced dangers of the people turning their back on him, dangers from claims of false Christians. He had many sleepless nights. He was hungry. Ooh, that's a good one. He was thirsty. He didn't have his clothes. He was cold. And he had, yet he had concern for the churches. He had all those things all the time. And yet he didn't give up. And Paul was about ready to go through the ringer for the sake of the church. He was about to be put to death. Would we do that? Would we, or would we give up? I like to hope that none of us would. But man, we need the spirit of God. We need the conviction to never, ever, ever give up. It wasn't that Paul was some super holy, super Christian. He had the same Holy Spirit that you have when you place the faith and trust in Christ. Which means this. Have the conviction and be filled with the power of the Spirit and connect to the Word of God that you will never, ever, ever give up. So endure hardship. If you keep your attitude focused on the big picture, then you also must share Jesus with others. Paul specifically tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was a pastor, and he could have easily, I've heard this before, uh, he could have easily said, well, well, mentor Paul, I'm a pastor. I just preach the word of God and do potlucks. Isn't that okay? Right? I've heard that before. I have my little niche, right? I've heard people say, oh, Kenosha City Church, uh, you're the evangelism church. Or, Andy, you're just an evangelism. I don't want to hear any of that. We're not an evangelism church. We want to be a church that's biblical. Every church in this community should be an evangelism church. They should be a biblical church. They should do all the work of the pastor and discipleship, but yet not neglect doing the work of the evangelist. Too often we negate the spread of the gospel, inviting others, because we look at someone else that it seems to come easy. They may have what's called the gift of evangelism, but just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean you do the work of the evangelist. Pastor Will, for instance, uh, he did a, he. By the way, God bless Will. He gave an hour sermon last week, and I love it, all right? It's like, it's like you, you have, you, you, wasn't that awesome? Didn't even feel that way. But it's like, you're in my, my preaching territory. Anyways, that's great. 
<laughs> I said I'd outdo him this week. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so anyway. He did, one, he did a wonderful, wonderful job. And something about Will that he can do. And I know Will's watching right now. He's like, oh, dear me, you said that. Listen, Will. So he's watching right now. He can invite a whole row of people just like that. Just like that. I'm like, how do you do that? Right? Just like that. Boom. Some of you are here today because Will invited you. Right? And you could easily look at Will and say, I'm not that. I guess I can't do it. Or you could look at Brandon. Pastor Brandon. That dude can disciple people like that. Right? He is so patient. He is so kind. You could look at him and say, there's just no way I have the patience for that. Listen, here's the deal. Let's take our eyes off other people. Let's put our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And let's let him wow you what he's going to do through you. It may just be one, it could be ten, it could be a hundred. It doesn't matter about the numbers. What matters is, are you going to be standing there available to be faithful? Who's your one? Who's your one? That one person you're going to pray for, you're going to care for, you're going to share with them. Another thing, if you're going to have the big picture, is you need to look to the finish line. Paul tells us to fulfill your ministry. You all have ministry. We often have plans of how to start something. But how often do we neglect how are we going, what's the finish line at? Like what do we want our life, specifically what I mean by that is, what do we want our life to look like when we meet Jesus? Do we want to be straying? Do we want to be lukewarm? Or do we want to be passionately on fire for him? What is it? Just before I was uh, engaged to Allison, I asked her dad, Darren, permission if we can get married. So we went to a Denny's. Before I could get a word out, Darren, who sold insurance for a living, he said, so Andy, I guess you're here today to ask my uh, daughter's hand in marriage. I'm like, that's a great way to start off, but yes. He's like, okay, well, uh, here are some terms. I go, oh, terms? And it's like, number one, get life insurance. I thought, oh, he's going to kill me, right? <laughs> life insurance. Secondly, she has some student loan debt. You're going to have to get that. That's, and then thirdly, you're going to get a cat. I'm like, a cat? And so and I, I'm like, well, that's a real interesting way of saying, uh, yes, you can marry my daughter. <laughs> but I realized after all these years what he was doing. He wasn't just looking at the I do. He was also looking at death do you part. He was looking at the whole race. We need to do that in our faith. We need to see the finish line. The marathon runner who's run 26 miles, the majority of those who quit a marathon quit at mile 20 or 21. And it's because we forget where the finish line is at. The finish line is when Jesus Christ comes back. And oh yes, he can come back in our lifetime. Or it's when we die and we stand before him. The finish line is this. We want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? But too often we neglect the spread of the gospel or inviting others because we look towards that somebody. Or we don't look at that or we neglect the word of God because it doesn't, these promises are they for us? Or we quit praying because oh, what happened? When you keep your attitude in the big picture, you'll see the finish line and it'll be in focus. You'll be fine if you keep your eyes on the finish line. But if you look to the sides, you're going to go awry. Never give up when you want to give up. Keep going. Keep going. Lastly, we need to look. We need to look to those who have run and finished the race before us. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering 
and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and there is reserved for the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. Paul is telling Timothy, look at my life. My life, my testimony. People would malign Paul. They'd call him a false apostle. When Paul was in prison, people deserted him. He felt alone. And Paul's alibi was this. He didn't have to say, let me just explain myself. He's like, look at my life. People will malign you for the faith. People will rip down and burn you down because they don't like you. But all you got to say is this. You can stand upon the faithfulness of Christ where you can say, look at my life. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. Timothy, look at my life. My life will speak for itself when all others point the finger and say, he's nobody or nothing or false. Paul's departure had come. Paul was coming to the end of his life and he was going to be put to death for his faith. And yet he didn't blame God. He didn't blame others. He wasn't vindictive. He didn't go and try to malign people that were with him. No, instead he said, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul's telling Timothy, never, ever, ever give up. If you're looking to people, look to the people that have run the race before you. Some only want to group think in your peer group. Listen, having godly friends is a good thing. But when we need the Bible, when we need to Bible think with people uh, who went before you, we need, to, we need to seek out people who, are, who have thought biblically. Too often, uh, we approach our friends in the faith and we want to find some kind of gushy consensus. You'll give up if you do that. You'll find something that is quasi or unbiblical if you are gooey, finding a consensus amongst your friends of what is true and not true. Never, ever, ever give up. And Paul is saying to us today through his word, church, never, ever, 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 ever give up. So church, how do we never give up? You fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from the things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, we are not to fight with our fists. And oftentimes in the church, we fight really silly, dumb fights, right? We're getting ready to do some construction out here. And I remember going to the carpet store a couple years back when we were doing one other phase and we picked the carpet color, and the guy was like, wow, that, that was really amazing. Like, you just picked that like that. I'm like, well, you know, we have teams, things like that. It's like, you should have been here in the week before. We had a committee of 30 from a church, and it was like a fist fight, right? We like to fight bad fights. We are to be a scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based, praying church. If we're going to fight church, we must fight on our knees. And prayer is not a program. It's the core of how we communicate with God. Now, listen, we have prayer nights. We even have a prayer room meeting at 8 o'clock on, on Sunday mornings, which I'm very thankful for uh, as they pray for the Sunday morning, right? You should, you should if you don't have anything going at 8 o'clock, you know where to be in the fireside room upstairs, right? Uh, I know our host team, they're probably praying right now, right? Prayer is, it should be baked into our DNA. We have opportunities for it, but we want to see it baked in the DNA of who we are as people. 
And seek God for who he is, not just give him a laundry list. We can give him a laundry list, but listen, we're there to seek him. Prayer is caught more than it's taught. We need to be on our knees. That's how we fight our battles. So we fight. We finish. 2 Timothy 2.3. Sharing the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs of life. Uh, he seeks to please the commanding officer also. If anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be first to get a share of the crops. Too often we're fighting the wrong fights. We fight the wrong people. But make no mistake, the enemy is Satan, the enemy of your souls. And he must not win. That is why we must go all in, seeing the kingdom of God go forward in your time, your talents, and your treasures. And finally, we need to keep the faith. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing, he's begun, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, he has begun to do a great work in you. And he's gonna complete it on the day that you meet him. He is constantly doing a good work. You may have strayed. You, you may, he may be distant. But listen, he's reeling you in today because he's doing a good work in you today. God is doing a good work. Trust him. And trusting him in that good work means this. Surrender. Surrender. Have you surrendered? Surrendered in your marriage? Surrendered in your addictions, surrendered in the mission. Where do you need to surrender? People often talk about revival. But revival begins with surrender. I love this quote from Gypsy Smith. He was an evangelist. He said, if you want revival, go home, take a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, and pray for personal revival. Where do we need to surrender? Here's our application this morning. Where are you giving up where you should not be giving up? What needs to be added and subtracted from life to help you fight to the finish? Number three, who have you been putting off sharing Jesus with and inviting to church? Who's your one? And finally, where are you holding back in your times with the Lord? Maybe it's, maybe it's even like joining a city group. Your talents, maybe it is joining in and getting involved with the things of the church. Or even your finances. Even your finances. Where do we need to surrender to see the kingdom of God move forward in your life personally and in this church? He wants to do a deep work right now, so let's do that. Let's go before him. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come now and search our hearts. Do a deep, mighty work in our hearts right now, God. Where do we need to surrender? What are those things that creep up into our hearts and make us nervous and makes, and makes us makes us not trust you? Makes us anxious. Surrender. Let's ask the Holy Spirit that. Surrender. God's doing a deep work in this room this morning. As we continue to pray and you seek out God with that question, I want to ask anybody in this room right now, are you certain that you're going to heaven? Do you need to surrender right now to Jesus? Asking him to be the savior of your life. If you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, to save you from your sins, 
you need to do that today. You're like, I don't know if I've ever done that or I've never done that. This is your day. If you want a personal relationship with Jesus, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, this is what you need to do. You need to acknowledge that you have sinned, you've done wrong before the Lord God Almighty. You need to realize that there's no good works you can do to get right with God. And you need to receive Jesus what he's already done for you. This is what Jesus did for you. He went to the cross and he paid for every single one of your wrongs, past, present, future. We call that sin. Because he's a perfect sinless sacrifice, he's able to take away your sin. He rose from the dead three days later. And your response is this, placing your full faith and trust in him alone. Believing that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's God, he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead. Tell him that you want him to step into your life and forgive you of your sins. Is that you? Just tell him. He's receiving you right now. In fact, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, if you're receiving Jesus, like I want Jesus to come into my life, I'm placing my faith and trust in him alone. If that's you, will you just let me know? Will you just look up and make eye contact with me? All right? Just make eye contact with me if that's you. Awesome. Anybody else? Great, thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for those that are saying yes to you today. They're saying, Lord Jesus, please step into my life and forgive me my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross, raising from the dead. God, I just pray that today you begin doing a good work in their life. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room now. They would seek you. You would seek your spirit. Do a deep cleaning in the heart. And God, may it result in surrender. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.